This podcast is offered to you by Zen Center North Shore on the web at www.zencenternorthshore.org. This program is made possible by donations from listeners like you. Um, it's good to see you. I'm, uh, I'm aware. I'm, I'm really aware this morning, just watching the rain outside my window of how we had been thinking we would be climbing up Mount Monadnock this morning and today. And we've rescheduled that for August 20th. We'll try again, see how that is. Um, and I know this is a very big weekend for a few of you. There's a lot going on with the sewing and um, with the proposed hike today. And then Friday night, we, we offered a full moon ceremony. And then even though at the beginning of the full moon ceremony, we had to come inside because of the weather, <clears throat> the skies opened up enough so that we felt that we could enter the water, the water part of our study this weekend on mountains and waters. And it just so happens that when we're the weekend of August 20th, where we've rescheduled our, our hike is also a full moon weekend. So we can try again on Friday night, offering the full moon ceremony in the welcome garden on the 20th and then possibly go swimming after that at the same location. <laughs> Seitetsu was there. It is a really, maybe Seitetsu, you might want to share a little bit about what that experience was for you because what I thought I would do this morning, not thinking until yesterday that I would be offering a Dharma talk, thinking that Mount Monadnock would be giving the Dharma talk today, I thought um, I would read a little bit from Dogen's text, The Mountains and Waters Sutra, he called it, with a translation by Kaz Tanahashi. And this appears in Dogen's great collection of works called the Shobo Genzo, The Treasury of the True Dharma Eye. And as I'm thinking about this this morning and as I was reading through it this morning there are two things I just want to say before I just read one is how Dogen Zenji I really do feel especially this morning has a way through his teachings through his own inquiry and his own awakening and how he recorded that. Um, the recorded sayings of Dogen Zenji, the Ehe Koroku. It's this vast compendium of uh, Dogen's mind, how he understood what it means to be alive. To be alive in the human realm, you know, right in the midst of what we call politics and all kinds of other things just the challenges of being alive, being human, 
in going through the course of one's own life. And there's a way in which in the language of Dogen and just the imagery of Dogen, there's such an opportunity to kind of extricate ourselves from the morass of dualistic thinking, of a dualistic way of dealing with being alive. So I'm seeing it this morning, this teaching of Dogen as freedom from this and that, you and me, good and bad, success and failure, virtue, non-virtue, delusion, enlightenment. Um, and then the second thing is Sangha, which we're studying this summer. I'm feeling this morning this dance of self and other, this dance of the individual experience of being alive, of being in our life and dealing with that. And then coming into a Sangha situation, coming into practicing with others. And this morning, there's a lot to say about Sangha. As we know, this summer, we're hearing from different people about their view, their experience of Sangha. But this morning, what I'm feeling is how helpful it is, how verifying it is to be with others in a conscious and intentional way to receive, in this instance, the natural world, to receive the beauty, the magic, the wonder of the natural world, and as a means to um, loosen our grip on our usual way of seeing, our usual way of experiencing our life. So the natural world as kind of a portal for non-duality. So this is what I'm, I'm experiencing this morning with this Waters and Rivers Sutra. And I wanted to just focus on the waters part of this sutra. Just thinking about our experience on Friday night of sliding into, some of us cannonballed into, <laughs> some of us maybe dove into, and some of us slid into the beautiful wa uh, waters of the quarry that's uh, located here on Cape Ann. This magnificent container for water, rainwater, fresh water, and all the creatures there, the human creatures who come, sometimes drumming human creatures. That was kind of wild to walk through the dark woods, single file. There were 10 of us. <laughs> this column of humans walking through the dark woods and then the full moon had risen and how it shone through those dark trees and we could hear the drums in the distance was it drums what was it was it a party in town and then as we got closer yes there were two people who were drumming 
And then um, every now and then the venerable bullfrog, the master of the quarry, would make their sound. And then as we as we came out of the woods and into the clearing of the quarry, the vast clearing of the quarry, in the light you can see the massive stones, the rocks, the boulders, all the different shapes and squares and the rectangles, their solidity and their stillness under the moonlight. And then the rippling. And then that big log, kind of like a big telephone pole. <laughs> the slicing kind of cylinder. Just floating on the water under the moonlight. <laughs> so this imagery is so powerful. So serene. So magical. And so totally itself. this water scene, this abode of water. And then, of course, here we have the rain happening right now. So this is a watery kind of day. So this is a watery kind of talk. This is what Dogen has to say about water. So as you're hearing this, maybe this is the third thing just before I start reading. As you're hearing this, let this be a period of zazen. If you're just coming here right now, this is maybe a guided meditation for you. Some people get tripped up on Dogen as intellectual. They worry about the words and the meaning. And so I'm inviting you this morning to drop into your body. If you were swimming the other night to remember the feeling of the satiny feeling, the silky feeling of the water on your body, the undifferentiated quality maybe between the air and the water. And what it was like to be with other human beings in that environment as you received these words. And if you weren't there on Friday, um, maybe if your window's open, my window's open right now, I can, I can see the drops. I can hear the drops. I can smell the drops. Maybe opening to this as you're hearing the words. Water is neither strong nor weak, neither wet nor dry, neither moving nor still, neither cold nor hot, neither existent nor non-existent, neither diluted nor enlightened. When water solidifies, it's harder than a diamond. Who can crack it? When water melts, it's softer than milk. Who can destroy it? Do not doubt that these are the characteristics water manifests. Reflect on the moment when you see water of the ten directions as water of the ten directions. This is not merely studying the moment when human and heavenly beings see water. This is studying the moment when water sees water. Because water practices and realizes water, 
Water expresses water. Actualize the path where self encounters self. Go forward and backward, leaping beyond the vital path where other fathoms other. Right now I'm feeling the wind coming through my window. I'm hearing the breeze. I'm feeling it on my body, on my face. I'm breathing it in. Where is it other? At what point is the wind no longer other? Has it ever been other? Not only, not all beings see mountains and waters in the same way. Some beings see water as a jeweled ornament, but they do not regard jeweled ornaments and water. When in the, what in the human realm corresponds to their water? We only see their jeweled ornaments as water. Some beings see water as wondrous blossoms, but they do not use blossoms as water. Hungry ghosts see water as raging fire or pus and blood. Dragons and fish see water as a palace or a pavilion. Some beings see water as the seven treasures or a wish-granting jewel. Some beings see water as a forest or a wall. Some see it as the Dharma nature of pure liberation, the true human body, or the form of the body and the essence of mind. Human beings see water as water. Water is seen as dead or alive, depending on the seer's causes and conditions. Thus the views of all beings are not the same. Question this matter now. Are there many ways to see one thing or is it a mistake to see many forms as one thing? Pursue this beyond the limit of pursuit. Accordingly, Endeavors in practice realization of the way are not limited to one or two kinds. The thoroughly actualized realm has 1,000 kinds and 10,000 ways. When we think about the meaning of this, it seems that there is water for various beings, but there is no original water There is no water common to all types of beings. But water for these various kinds of beings does not depend on mind or body, does not arise from actions, does not depend on self or others. Water's freedom depends only on water. In this way, water is not just earth, water, fire, wind, space, or consciousness. Water is not blue, yellow, red, white, or black. 
Water is not form, sound, smell, taste, touch, or mind. But water as earth, water, fire, wind, and space actualizes itself. This being so, it's difficult to say who has created this land and palace right now or how such things have been created. To say that the world is resting on the wheel of space or on the wheel of wind is not the truth of the self or the truth of others. Such a statement is based only on a small view of assumptions. People speak this way because they think that it is impossible for things to exist without having a place to rest. Mm. One more line. The Buddha said, all things are ultimately unbound. There is nowhere that they permanently abide. Okay. So when I hear all this, I don't know about you. Returning to my breath. Returning to my experiences, moving through my life on planet Earth. Moving through various activities. Just take this weekend alone. Some of us last night gathered on our main street in our town where we live. And we moved through our main street, which is called Cabot Street. And there were all kinds of sights and sounds and smells and tastes and tangibles. And we moved through like water, moving through all these realms and experiencing what we were experiencing. Enjoyment, pleasure, maybe some discomfort when it got a little loud and it got a little long and maybe some of us started getting a little tired and overstimulated. (laughs) There's a feeling of moving together through these realms swimming together, walking together, singing together, dancing together. I have a feeling in this morning of just needing more of this. (laughs) And it's not a feeling of grasping, like wanting more. It's just an appreciation of the goodness of it. And of how wonderful it is to have the experience of of all these various activities of our human body, that our human body can experience. The walking, the swimming, the dancing, the the, um, singing, the eating, the drinking, the talking, the laughing. And then being able to return to the mind of Dogen, which is the mind of Buddha, which is our own mind naturally bright and fresh and always beginning. Always the invitation, the opportunity to loosen our grip. 
you know, on fixating, on getting stuck. I mean, it's wonderful to course in the mundane realm, <laughs> to engage in worldly affairs. <laughs> and it's also wonderful to be free within the mundane world, within the fact of the activity of worldly affairs. <laughs> to play, to cavort. And I personally just find this language of, of Dogen just very comforting. You know, returning, I guess in my mind, Joan's mind, this inquiry of zazen, social justice, self-care, creativity, of allowing Dogen, allowing the water, allowing the mountain, whatever mountain is present for you right now, to captivate us, to engage our imagination, to lift us up. And to not be so sure to loosen our grip that the mountain and the water is not us, that we're not othering the mountain or ourselves or each other. I feel very excited for our town, our city right now, because of the feeling of the change that's coming. It's already here. I felt it in our communal dancing where we came together last night in the karaoke song of Bob Marley's voice. Don't worry, Beverly, about a thing because <laughs> every little thing is going to be all right. The three little birds, the triple treasure. <laughs> um, let me see if I end a little bit here with just Dogen a little bit more. The section on um, a little bit more on these dragons and fish. You know, Dogen, if, if what Dogen was saying a few minutes ago is the various perspectives of various beings on the so-called same thing. How do dragons and fish see water? How do heavenly beings see water? Not just how do human beings see water. So Dogen says, now when dragons and fish see water as a palace, it may be like human beings seeing a palace. They may not think it flows. If an outsider tells them what you see as a palace is running water, the dragons and fish may be astounded, just as we are when we hear the words, mountains flow. Nevertheless, there may be some dragons and fish who understand that the railings and pillars of palaces and pavilions are flowing water. Quietly reflect and ponder the meaning of this. If you do not learn to penetrate your superficial views, you will not be free from the body and mind of an ordinary person.
then you will not thoroughly experience the land of Buddha ancestors or even the land or the palace of ordinary people. At this time, human human beings deeply know that what is in the ocean and the river is water, but do not know what dragons and fish see and use as water. Do not foolishly suppose that what we see as water is used as water by all other beings. You who study with Buddhas should not be limited to human views when you see water. Go further and study water in the Buddha way. Study how you view the water used by Buddha ancestors. Study whether there is water or no water in the house of Buddha ancestors. So this study, again, coming back to what I said earlier, let this study not be just an intellectual study. We're exploring that this summer with this study being fully embodied, dancing in the streets, singing karaoke, hiking a mountain, diving, cannonballing, or sliding into the waters of the quarry. And just allowing, just allowing the water to penetrate and for you to penetrate the water and for you to penetrate you. Thank you. Let's see if anybody has anything to say about dancing or swimming or hiking or penetrating. Say Tetsu. Yes. Oh, that was just, that was so delicious. That reading is delicious as the swim. I mean, we, uh, I don't think I've ever swum in a quarry before. And, uh, the experience, uh, I, I was thinking about the experience as the Dogen, you know, through the Dogen, because we had, we had talked about that and we'd seen the moon. And I, I remember when Kaz Tanahashi came to Beverly and he gave a talk on Dogen, he said something that really has stuck with me, which is that the key to un- the decoding Dogen is just to switch the subject and the object. And the, you know, the, the example is the snow makes the mountain or, you know, the, 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 dan- the, the moon dances or the dancing of the moon on the water. So it was all there, this gorgeous, full, glowing moon that we, we saw as we were approaching uh, the quarry in the car. It just appeared over the, the ocean as we were driving. And it was, just, it was so surprising. So the, as Joan, um, you know, we, we had to walk through the woods. It was so exciting, but then at the quarry, uh, it's a, such a large body, this, the, the cut of the quarry, it's very large. And, uh, you kind of slip in at this one moment where all these very, you know, big rocks, these just giant, you know, hard granite rocks. And, um, our, our host kind of gave us, he's like, you know, you could go in 
easily here, but there's a section you have to drive right, you know, you have to dive right in because you can't dive this way. Anyway, I decided to dive in and, uh, and it, it's a little scary, but I, I did feel, you know, that we had a, our host knew how to keep it safe and make it comfortable. Um, and, and so it's a very dark, uh, at the time I, the, the moon was behind the trees and the trees were very dark, like almost a black dark. And the, the moon was hiding behind, but we knew that it was there because we had just seen it from the car. So um, we were at the edge, so you can't, the moon hadn't risen in the quarry yet. Um, so I said, well, you know, can we, can we swim across? Most people didn't want to swim across, but two of us slowly went, you know, backpedaled out you know, further and further and further. And, and you see them, you know, the moon rising, the, the little white, you know, coming through, coming through with these black, you know, really dark, dark trees. And then all of a sudden we were, you know, more than halfway across and there's the moon rising above these trees. It was glorious, this big white moon. And, and the experience for me, being in the water, it was so warm and uh, it, it, the texture was different. It was like kind of I, it just a very uh, enveloping kind of texture. And the, uh, the moon was, uh, the light was going on the back rim of the quarry, which is, again, it's just so massive. It's hard to imagine how much granite was taken out of this quarry. And we were told it goes down 700 feet. And so I'm out there thinking to myself, how many times my body that is, if I'm five feet, you know, and then it goes down. And it was so, it just, it was such a great experience. And then we kind of quietly came back. And at one point I, I decided to go under the water and, and it, it's kind of scary because, you know, you think about the fishes. I'm wondering, are there any fish in here? Because it's so big. But I decided to go under the water and it was, it was black. It was gray. There was no color in the water. It was such a strange experience. I've never felt that before. And, and then, you know, and then we came out and, um, and then, you know, and the moon went back in. And I, I just think of that, a beautiful reading about Dogen and, and that, you know, the, the moon and the water and all of the different ways that it was uh, illuminated, even the stars, because for some reason, even with a full moon, it was, you could see the stars, but um, it's a, it's, it was an unforgettable experience. And um, I don't know, to me that it, 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 the, all the relationships of everything that went into it and how different the moon was in every aspect. So that's, uh, thank you so much for that experience. That was really special. Thank you. Thank you for saying yes to it. A lot of this is like, trust me. <laughs> um, you know, I wanted to say, Setetsu, as you were speaking, I, 
I, I wanted to share that, you know, religion, the origins of religion and religious practice, of course, in ancient times, be before ancient times, like primal times, were of course connected with the natural world. And I think one of the big problems we have these days with religion is that it's become so far removed from the natural world. It's become so institutionalized in buildings and, you know, politics and money and just, you know, power hierarchy and stuff like that. And one thing I appreciate so deeply about Zen training is it is one religious practice that's still deeply connected with the natural world. A monastery is called a mountain in, in Japanese. And your training, I was so aware of my monastic training that I was not just being trained by the human teachers, but by the rattlesnakes and the scorpions and the tarantulas and the, the big cats. The, um, I saw a mountain lion once on the road. Um, and the creek and the 116 degree temperature sometimes in the summer and the dry heat and the cold of the winter without having heat in my cabin and feeling the little glow of the end of the incense stick when I would offer incense at the end of my practice day, going back to my cabin to offer the, the end of the day gata by myself in my cabin before going to bed. I'd light a stick of incense, offer it, and say, this evening as I sleep, I vow with all beings to still all things and put an end to confusion. Bow when I get into bed. And that would be about 9, 12 every night. Because <laughs> you're up. I'd be up at 3, 15, you know, and that comes quick. But that little ember in the cold, you know, in the cold night, that little ember was so warming. So all of this, these elements of the cause of the, the planet, I guess, the cosmic world, I don't even know, fire, and the, mount, the earth, the mountains, the sky, the air, the stars, all of it was training me. All of it was training me. And that's what we're returning to, even here in Beverly, even here in the cities, even here on Zoom. This is what we're returning to, allowing this to train us, which is just a return. It's just a, a, a joining back again, a harmonizing with. And so that's the invitation of Dogen. And there's also an invitation in there to not, because in the morning, in the morning, the gata that I would chant, waking up, lighting a stick of incense. This morning as I wake, I vow with all beings to see each thing as it is and not to forsake the world. So there's nothing to reject here. There's everything to give rise to compassion for. <laughs> you know, and so there's this, this mutuality. This is what I'm trying to get at with the mundane, the world, you know, the worldly realm. And then this cosmic Buddha realm. They're not in competition. You know, and this is, you know, Setetsu, as you said, as 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 Kaz understands it, as he phrases this, this decoding, this switching up, subject and object, is 
a practice of dealing with duality, you know, of playing with duality, of seeing about coursing in a non-dual realm without denying duality. And so the, the natural world is so helpful in this inquiry for it to not become intellectual. But let me see if there's anybody else. Jikan, I think you may have the text there with you. Jikan is, is leading the hike from Mount Monadnock. And, and part of the hike is, is we'll be bringing the text with us and sharing, reading on the mountain, reading Dogen on the mountain. I'm wondering if there's anybody else who has anything that you'd like to share about anything at all. <laughs> related or otherwise. Hi, Paula. And then Troy. Or is Troy just waving? <laughs> Paula, did you want to say something? Yes, I wasn't muted. Hi. <laughs> um, so I started out yesterday floating in a kayak in the, in the water in a lake. Um, so I, even though I missed the, um, going into the quarry, which I want to do next time, that sounds so beautiful. Um, just dangling my hands in the water and seeing all the plants beneath the water and, you know, the birds, we saw blue heron landing. And, um, so I could really imagine the water while you are reading. Um, yeah. And then you know, last night, like kind of the fun and being with people and um, seeing everything that was happening, you know, in Beverly and our town was just so, um, I don't know, it was just so fun. And I can relate when you said that you want more of that, because like everything that yesterday was like, I want more of that also, you know, all of it, the whole thing. So, um, yeah. That's just, that's it. Thank you, Paula. Yes, thank you. Yeah, there's a feeling of, you know, it's an okay desire to have the desire for more connection, <laughs> for experiencing more the truth of interconnectedness with each other in the human realm and then beyond the human realm, the animals and the water and the mountains and the sky. Yeah. That changes everything when we return to that sense of interconnectedness. Anybody else? Troy, did you want to say something or were you just saying hello? It's good to see you. Uh, I was just waving back at Paula. Um, I guess she was waiting to speak. <laughs> um, but I can just express some gratitude for, for this, for this online group that I'm doing right now. Uh, and how much how much longing I have for Sunday, you know, we talked about um, the importance of experiencing the natural world together with others, or something to that effect, I'm And um, how much I appreciate this online sotas and Sangha that's hopefully close enough that I can come down occasionally Monday, um, and um, 
how difficult it is to find a, a functional and cohesive group uh, of practitioners. Um, so how much gratitude I have for that. And how much gratitude I have for sort of the more ecumenical sangha that's starting to develop around my workplace, which historically in recent years has been a little bit more um, a lack of unity in purpose or direction of people being there. And so it, it tended to be a little bit more people sort of pushing and pulling against each other to focus on what their ideas of what happening were and it does feel like now um, you know the the daily sitting is, is being, um, we've had several empires and a number of them are starting to come to the daily sitting um, my job has shifted so I'm back in the kitchen at least for the moment which I'm really grateful for um, it, it just feels like it's coming together more and I'm having a couple people over for dinner it's becoming more centered around Buddha Dharma and less sort of a hodgepodge of various people's ideas on why they're there and what they should be that. I'm really grateful for that. And I'm grateful that you're often a center for that. Hopefully someday I'll get there in person. Meanwhile, I'm grateful for getting all the I love that you mentioned kitchen practice, Troy. There is a request this for this winter that we do a, a class series on food, on cooking. <laughs> and so, of course, we would be returning to Dogen for that, the instructions to the cook, and that there would be actually food prep. So we would have our, our phones propped up in our kitchens and we'd be cooking together. I don't really know how this is all going to work, but maybe Ed Brown will return for that. There's a Sangha member who's a wonderful cook who is just beginning to study the precepts. She's just going to start studying the precepts this fall. And so I think it's, it's very beautiful to find these openings of our particular experience connecting with the teachings, the traditional teachings. That's how they come alive. That's how they're relevant in our life. Hmm. All right, any last thoughts from anybody? Emily? I was just thinking about how our Dharma names carry these elements, you know, I think Jikan, if I'm not mistaken, you have a mountain in yours, right? And Setetsu, you have the bamboo path and I have a luminous valley stream. And I just really, you know, when you said that very first line, you know, water is neither weak nor strong. I, I think you could say that about either of the other two elements too. A mountain's not weak or strong. Bamboo path isn't weak or strong. It's just, it's elemental. There's just some, some invitation there that I find so moving. Um, just feeling that this morning and really, 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 really enjoying it. That's all. Thank you, Ken Ho. <laughs> yeah. In every Dharma name, there is uh, a, an image of, a um, word, an image from the natural world 
you know, a creature or some kind of, what, what's the word, you know, something from the natural world that's a very strong image that has its own life. So it's not just abstract, it's tangible. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, as you were speaking, Emily, I was remembering this experience I had running up Tassajara Road. I used to run. Well, I wasn't really running. When you're running up a mountain, it's not like running. It was more like people walking beside me could move more quickly than me running. <laughs> Very steep mountain. But anyway, I would get up to Lime Point and I would stop there. And at that place, Lime Point up Tassajara Road, which is the mountainside, you know, it's dirt and you're in the middle of the Los Padres National Forest, the middle of the Ventana Wilderness. And there is not a sign of human life except for the road you're on and then you yourself. Everything else, it's just this vastness, looking out over this vastness. And I looked down on the road and I saw this little, just this little rock on the road. There were many, many rocks, but I just, my gaze landed on this little rock and I had the thought, now, is that rock beautiful or ugly? <laughs> and it was so ridiculous. It was such a ridiculous question. I felt so free in that moment from beautiful and ugly. <laughs> it just was <laughs> innocently just lying there. <laughs> and I saw the aggression of that dualistic thinking of how of dividing things up. And just saw the relaxation, the relief, you know, the beauty beyond beauty of just this, just this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just this bamboo path, just this luminous valley stream. Just this mountain. Mm-hmm. All right. I think we, we go forth into the sweet day, this gentle green-gray day. Isn't it lovely to have all this spaciousness ahead? We're not on an eight-hour hike. <laughs> what will you do with your unstructured time now? <laughs> Whatever you do, enjoy it. I wish you great joy and relaxation and peace today. Thank you so much for your practice and your presence. We hope you enjoyed this episode. This podcast is made possible by donations from listeners like you. For more information or to donate, please go to www.zencenternorthshore.org. Thank you.